and welcome back to J. Tom Lawler Rink with a score after two periods. Vermont and Merrimack are all even up at one to one. I'm Mike Macknick with John Leahy. This second intermission, as always, is brought to you by Merrimack Graduate Studies. At Merrimack, you can earn your master's degree in as little as one year. Choose from graduate programs in business, education, engineering, health sciences, criminology, and so much more. Visit merrimack.edu backslash graduate today for all the details. Mike McMahon joins us from the MacReport.com and the Eagle Tribune called Talking News as well. And well, Mike, uh, compares compared to last night's game, not much of a difference. Vermont led two to one after one, uh, rather after two periods last night, and tonight it is one to one at the end of two. Yet at the same time, it's really night and day from a Merrimack standpoint. Tonight, uh, despite the fact that they've only got the one goal so far, yeah, they, they've just played much much better than they did last night. Absolutely, yeah. The game looks similar uh, in the sense that you know, Merrimack gets that power play goal early and, and they kind of take the lead and, and uh, Vermont comes back from there and ties the score. But still, I mean, like I said, the shots are 19-17 Merrimack right now. I think at this point last night they were 28-11 uh, in favor of Vermont. So a uh, much, much different game in that regard. And that's a good step. Uh, you know, obviously there's still some things that you are concerned with, I think, goal scoring being one of them. And, and even again, they get the goal, but they get the goal on the power play. And I know that, that Mark Dennehy's talked about this for a number of weeks now. You know, they got to figure out a way to score five on five. Uh, and that's still the case. But but overall, if you were to compare this, uh, these 40 minutes to the first 40 minutes last night, like you said, night and yeah, Speaking of 28-11, to 11, that's also the score in which they've been outscored now in the second period this season. Why? I have no idea. That's a weird one. You know, this, the second period especially is a weird one. I, I think you could look at the first period and say, okay, for whatever reason they have trouble getting going. Uh, you can look at the, the third period and say, okay, maybe they have trouble finishing. Maybe there's a fatigue issue or something. But the second period, it's a weird one to have all your struggles in. It's uh, I get no explanation for it. Uh, so it is 1-1 at this point here. I feel like a uh, you know, big difference between them going down 2-1 like they did last night after 2 and being 1-1 here. You know, you still you have a chance here. You come out, you play your best hockey like you did last night. You, uh, you know, have a chance to win the game here. And, you know, a split would not be, you know, a split would be, would still help you with regard to where you want to be, I think, at the end of the year. Uh, getting swept would certainly be uh, almost disastrous. But, uh, you know, it's funny because you look at the league right now and you look at you know, we hadn't had a chance to see Vermont yet we just knew, knew their record but you know now you can look at Vermont Merrimack uh, UNH UConn and UMass and I'm not sure there's a lot to choose among those five teams and, and that's what you're talking about two of those five teams are going to end up with home ice in the first round yeah there's really not much that separates them. I mean even if you look at the standings Merrimack is in 10th right now I think they're one point out of sixth or something uh, there's no- they win the game tonight they find themselves in eighth if, if Maine holds on against UMass. Yeah, there's just, there's not a lot that's separating these teams, really. And, and for Merrimack, I mean, they, they, they're in the, a little bit of a hole from a, a slow start, although most of those games in, those, in that slow start were, were non-conference games, but, uh, you know, they, they they still control their own fate in the sense that they, they still got two games with Maine. Uh, they, they've got this game here with Vermont. Obviously, they played Vermont last night. They still got a game left with UNH. Uh, so it's not like, you know, it's not like they need to start beating top four teams in order to get this done. Uh, even though there's only nine games left, including this one, they've got a lot of games that are matched up with those teams that they're going to be fighting with for home ice. So uh, the opportunity is there if you get those wins against those teams to put yourself in a position to be playing at home that first weekend. By the way, Maine has a 3-1 to one lead in UMass right now, so golden opportunity here. Merrimack can pull ahead in this one. Absolutely, and Maine, a team we'll see next week is, uh, I know they got swept by Northeastern a couple of weeks ago, but they are on fire if you look at what I, 
at one point they were unbeaten in eight straight games, I think, going into that Northeastern series. So now uh, they've probably won, I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm guessing probably nine or ten games in the last 13 or something like that. They're really, really starting to play well. Uh, and that's a team that, they're a younger team, too. Uh, you know, most of their top players are, are sophomores. Their sophomore class is pretty big. Uh, and they've got a freshman goalie who's just getting it done. Jeremy Swayman's got like a 935 save percentage or something. So uh, they are just get, they're getting it done right now. And a lot of it's, uh, they're, they're figuring out their goal scoring a little bit, but I think the big difference for them is just the goaltending. Yeah, I would point to for Maine, Jeremy Swayman, for Northeastern, Caden Primo, and the, the difference those two guys have made certainly in those two teams, I think, in making them both much, much better. Really, it you know, shows you uh, how much it helps to have a goaltender of that caliber. But, uh, you know, looking at tonight's game, anything else that jumps out at you? Because I thought the first period, it seemed like, you know, to a certain extent, Merrimack picked up from the third period of last night, but at the same time, they also seemed much more of a concerted effort in just taking that puck to the net. You know, getting the puck to the net, taking it to the net, whatever, that's how they drew the penalty shot, which would have been a penalty shot for Matthew Tibbet. Good move, I think, and it paid off to, to, to take the power play and score the goal, but they haven't been able to keep that going throughout the rest of the game is what I was going to say. Why is that? Is that Vermont's adjusting, or, you know, Vermont battling back or pushing back? What is it? Uh, I think part of it is Vermont adjusting a little bit. They did a really good job, I thought, Vermont last night of, of keeping Merrimack away from the front of the net. Even when they had zone time, I mean, it was all on the outside. Uh, Merrimack's doing a better job of kind of penetrating and getting to the inside, but Vermont sticks the inside the hash marks. Uh, Vermont's really good with their sticks. I mean, that's the one thing that I've noticed these last two nights is if you have the puck, if you're Merrimack and you get the puck on the inside of the ice like that, and you have the puck in on your stick, you have possession of it, you're okay. The second you lose it, they've got a stick knocking it out, and you've got to kind of navigate a whole maze of sticks around the net. They're really, they pack things in tighter on the front of the net, but it seems like they're really, really good with their sticks there, uh, and that's that's part of what makes it so tough, I think. You know, they're not real physical in front of the net. They're a physical team. They don't seem to be as physical in front of the net as maybe they were two or three years ago when they had, there was a one point, I remember, they came in here, they didn't have a defenseman who was less than 6'4", 220. They, they moved away, they're still big, they moved away from that a little bit, and it's just, they're sticks are so active in the slot that you, you really can't, it's a minefield trying to navigate those sticks, so they're almost kind of forcing you to take those shots from the outside. Yeah, I mean, that's why I think, you know, you got to get the puck to the net. And then on the power play, maybe, you know, that was the problem, that last power play there was, they had the puck in the zone almost the whole two minutes, but how many shots did they end up with? Yeah, and that's that's something that they've gone back to a couple of times this year, where, you know, we need to shoot the pucks, we need to shoot, find more opportunities to shoot the puck, or we've heard Mark Denny say after the game, we passed, we passed up too many opportunities to shoot the puck. Uh, that... I agree there. You know, they, I, thought, I thought that last night too. Especially even if they were on the outside, there were some chances last night where they had some clean looks. Uh, where even if you're you're taking a shot from 15, 20 feet out, and you get a rebound or whatever. Um, They've done a better job of that tonight, but still, I mean, I think you've got to look for every opportunity to shoot the puck. Mike McMahon with us from the Mac Report. 1 1 our score here at the end of two. Uh, interesting discussions, I suppose. Uh, you know, uh, this week, recruiting and uh, related issues and so on. Tell us about what what, what that was involved. That uh, You had a little story, at least for the VIPs, I think, uh, you know, talking about that. Uh, you know, give us your, your angle on the issue. Uh, well, the, the, there's two of them, and it's been around for a, one of them's been around for a while, the young recruiting thing. Uh, BU committed, I think, a 14 year old this week. I don't think he turns 15 until like the end of the year. So he was he was 13 at the start of the hockey season. Uh, this season. And he committed to BU. And, uh, How old's your oldest? Eight? He is eight, yeah. Right. So my oldest is 11. So I'm thinking, okay, so what, a couple years older than that? Really? He's committing soon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. And then the other one, too, is uh, the the autonomy conferences, the power conferences. The Big Ten's the only one that has a hockey, that sponsors hockey. But uh, they are, are looking at a proposal where you could transfer and not have to sit a year. 
which I'm sure the players obviously is, is uh, helping out the players that have had to sit when they want to transfer. And I can, I can understand situations where maybe that would be necessary, or where you'd want to grant a waiver and say, okay, uh, you shouldn't have to miss a year for transferring if whatever the case may be, your coach leaves, or I mean, there could be a number of, of factors. But the thing that I would worry about is, and we've seen a little bit about this in basketball, because in basketball, I don't think you have to sit anymore. Uh, you essentially have, there are some big college basketball programs that essentially just recruit smaller D1 programs. They don't recruit high school players. They recruit smaller Division One programs, and that's just how they get their players. I, I forget which team it was, and I wish I remembered, uh, but, but somebody pointed me to uh, a roster at the beginning of the season, a college basketball roster, where out of like the 15 kids in the roster, like 11 of them were transfers. And, and they were all transfers from like NEC-level schools. So that, that would be the thing that would worry me, especially in hockey. I mean, at the end of the day, the, these power conferences, I don't think that they're coming up with rules that are going to hurt them. You know? Uh, they're coming up with things that they think would benefit them. So you know, my main question is on that. So I understand that the power conferences apparently have a little bit more sway, more, you know, they they, they, well, their votes count for more, right? But isn't it still the case that the legislation that they're trying to get through has to be approved by the general membership and that everybody still has a say? From what I understand, if, if those power five conferences, if they approve something, they are allowed at that point to operate under them. Just them. Just them. That's interesting. But it's something where the rest of the country kind of has to adopt whatever they're doing. If you're if you're in competition with those schools, uh, and like I said in hockey, it's only the Big Ten. But I think it's going to create if the transfer rule were to go through. I think it would be. I think it'd have a real negative effect. You know, on schools like Merrimack. Number one, you look at a guy like Brett Cini. And I, there's a lot of others. I mean, oh, I've heard I've, I've heard uh, you know I've heard words that uh, basically in all of hockey was against it. So. I would I would hope so. <laughs> uh, but I think you'd have a situation. You know, I can think back to Brett Cini's freshman year where he had I think close to 30 points as a rookie. Uh, there would be nothing stopping a BC, a BU, a Minnesota, anyone from saying, hey, Brett, come on over here. And uh, you don't have to sit. You can come in right away. I, I, I don't see how these smaller schools that attract players, I don't see how they'd be able to hold on to them. All right, Mike, thanks a lot. We appreciate it, folks. You can check out more of his thoughts at themacreport.com and also covering the game, College Hockey News and the Eagle Tribune. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. All right. Score 1-1, Merrimack in Vermont. Back with more after this. This is Warrior Hockey.